Well, good morning, uh, everybody. Welcome to our morning service. It's uh, not snowing outside today, but it um, is a little bit uh, cold in the building and it's empty as uh, as usual. But we do look forward um, to hopefully soon, God willing, being back together and enjoying that the warmth of each other's presence and uh, and fellowship. Well, this morning we're continuing in our sermon series in Exodus, looking at what it means to be a holy people. And what we'll see this morning is how God's covenantal faithfulness is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's because of his sacrifice for us that we are able to come into God's presence and to enjoy a relationship with him. In Ephesians 2, it says this, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are aware that we were once your enemies, having rejected your laws and your love for us. We were blind to our sin and rebelliousness. We thank you that uh, you have drawn us near to you. Thank you that Jesus dealt with our sin on the cross, that we've now been forgiven. We can now come near to you, into your presence. So we pray you'd bless our time of worship this morning as we seek to bring you the honour and praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to enjoy some more sung worship now with a couple of songs, after which uh, David Savage will bring us our reading from Exodus 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the Book of the Covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God, and they ate and drank. 
the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I've written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his assistant, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Well, good morning. Uh, great to be able to worship with you again this morning. As we come to God's word, uh, let us uh, let us pray. Uh, Father God, we pray that you would help us to receive your word this morning. Let it be food for our souls. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to push aside the distractions that are in our lives, in our world, that we would be able to fix our eyes on you. You would speak to us this morning as we hear your word preached. We pray that you would help us to apply these words to our lives, to our hearts, in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. As we think about relationships, good relationships are really a wonderful thing. But maybe as a result of the various barriers and restrictions that we've faced recently, they have taken their toll on relationships. Social distancing, masks, not being able to see friends and family, go to work, or not even to to worship together. The challenge of relationships, having good relationships in these days, is quite difficult. Because we're all made for relationship. We're made for relationship with one another, but ultimately we're made for relationship with the Lord, the one in whose image we are made. And even non-believers would say that we're made for relationship. There's a sense in which, because we're made in the image of God, we all know that we're made for relationship. But with that, the struggles that we face, how does God's word bring to bear Uh, some of these challenges? How does it help us in some of the challenges that we face? Because life is hard. Life at the moment is very hard, especially when it comes to relationship. And so as we think about that, we think about the question, well, what does God have to say about relationship? As we think about uh, that question, we're thinking about Exodus chapter 24. Um, and just to kind of lay the land, lay the, the scene, if you like, previously Israel had turned their back on God. They had gone into Israel, in, into Egypt, I should say, and were enslaved there under Pharaoh. And then the Lord remembers his covenant with his people, and he rescues them out of Egypt He brings them out through mighty acts of judgment, first through the plagues, and then secondly uh, through the Red Sea as he places judgment on the Egyptian army and redeems his people through it. And then he gives his people the Ten Commandments, as we saw in chapter 20, 
And then as last week, we heard the sort of fleshing out of that from chapter 21 to 23, how the commands of God uh, work out in life. And so from that, then we see what it means to to be a covenant people and to live in that way. And this chapter really is an aspect of confirming that covenant Confirming uh, that God makes a covenant with his people to draw them into relationship. And we'll see that he draws them into a covenantal relationship because of his faithfulness. We'll see that from three angles this morning. We'll see that we can praise God for his covenantal faithfulness through the fact that he makes a relationship with us. That secondly, he invites us to enjoy our relationship with him. And then thirdly, he allows us to see the glory of a relationship with him. And so firstly, he makes a relationship with us. The Lord calls to Moses and calls him up the mountain. As he says in verse 2, Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The leaders can come up to some degree, but the people cannot come up at all. And so we see from the very start that it's God's initiative God calls Moses up the mountain, and it's him who calls Moses. He gives Moses all the words to then give to the people. The words are the Ten Commandments we spoke about, mentioned in chapter 20, and the laws are the applications of those commandments, as Neil mentioned last week. At the heart of both is really to love the Lord, to not have any other God other than him, and to love the Lord alone. And so Moses goes back down the mountain with these commands to the people, with these words, and gives them to them, and seals them through sacrificial offerings. And the interesting thing here, if we look at verse 5, it mentions the type of sacrificial offerings. There's a, a burnt offering and a fellowship offering. A burnt offering symbolizes holding nothing back. It is a giving of everything. And a fellowship offering symbolizes communion, fellowship with the Lord, that he would make a covenant with his people. And so as Moses makes the sacrifices, he reads out the book of the covenant as described in verse 7, which would take the people, tell the people how to live as his special possession, as his holy people, considering that they had been redeemed out of Egypt, out of slavery. And as a response, well, we see what the response is in verse 3, and then again repeated in verse 7. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. We will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. And so the desire is there, but the ability to do it is that present. Well, they really do want to obey, But we don't really have to look terribly far forward into the the book of Exodus to see that they they fail in the the golden calf to name but one example. The desire is there, but the power to follow through is absent. I suppose it's a lot like parenting young children. I wonder if you have young children or if you've seen people parent young children. Maybe they say, we're going to have a fun day out at the park today. And so to do so, they say to the the children, this is how we're going to treat one another. We're going to treat one another with love, care, and respect. Is that understood? To which they nod diligently, yes. 
Yes, we will obey our parents. And so the scene takes place where they grab the scarf, the gloves, the shoes, the hat, the jackets, and put everything on together, hopefully in the right order, push everyone into the car, seatbelts on, and then you hear from the back seat, he hit me! No, I didn't! And so the fun day out at the park begins. The only challenge with, with these things is that really we are like children. We're like that in the sense that we really do want to obey. We want to do right. But yet we often fall short. Indeed, the more intimately that we actually know the Lord, the more that we realize how far we fall short. Uh, We want to obey, and yet left to ourselves, we simply can't. Because the law tells us how how to live, but it doesn't give us the power to do so. But in the gospel, Jesus gives us his spirit that not only gives us the desire to obey him, but actually gives us the power to do so as well. And yet at times we will fall short. We will still fail. We will still sin against the Lord because sinful people sin. And yet even though we break our promises with God, He upholds his covenantal promises with us. Because it's not dependent upon our obedience that keeps our covenantal relationship with God, but upon his faithful character. And that is amazing. That God is faithful even though we are not. And in light of this, he invites us to enjoy our relationship with him. To seal the covenantal promises between the Lord and his people, Moses takes the blood from the sacrifices and splashes half of it against the altar. And this displays the covenantal promise made on behalf of the Lord, and and he reads out the book of the covenant to the people, which the people then declare their part in the covenantal relationship sealed in the sacrifice. And we see that as we look at verse 8 where it says, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. It's interesting to note that it's the Lord who makes a covenant in accordance with these words. It's the Lord who initiates everything. He calls Moses up the mountain He gives Moses the laws to share with the people, something repeated and reinforced in verse 12. And it's the Lord who makes a covenant with his people based on the words that he has shared with his people. It's not some kind of vague promise or vague covenant idea, but a specific covenant instigated by God and agreed to with promises from the people. It's a little bit like a marriage covenant in that sense. Because it would be strange to go to a marriage and just have the bride and groom present and they not say anything. Because that wouldn't make a covenant in that sense. Just to have them present wouldn't be enough. They have to make covenantal promises to one another in the sight of God with the stipulations of that covenant to have and to hold in sickness and in health, etc., There are specific elements to the covenant. 
To have a ceremony without promises means that the covenant, well, it has no conditions. And that wouldn't be actually very loving at all, would it? Because it wouldn't be exclusive to the husband and the wife. And in the same way, verse 8 is also true of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. To be a Christian is to live in accordance with the word of God. As it says in verse 8, accordance with all these words, all God's word. And perhaps you've heard people say, well, I like to think of God perhaps like like this, or, or I like to think of God more like that. But to carry the name Christian is to live by his word. To love God is to love who he has revealed himself to be in his word. Because we can't say that we, we love God and not obey his word. We can't really call ourselves Christians and yet not submit to his word in our lives. When we open the Bible, God is speaking to us. The question is, are we listening? And will we receive his word in our lives by faith? To not do so is really to reject God and reject his word. But if we, if we love his word, if we treasure his word, then we can really enjoy a relationship with him. And this is the awesome thing that God, that Moses and others experience, as we see in verse 9 to 11. As it, as it says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. So Moses and others go up the mountain and they see God. They see God. But there's a problem in the sense that it it says in the Gospel of John that no one has seen God. And then later in Exodus, in chapter 33, it says that no one has seen God and lived. So how do we square that circle? Well, as it describes in verse 11 and also verse 10, it's not that they saw God in his fullness, but that they saw a glimpse of God. So in a sense, they didn't really see him entirely. They didn't see him in his fullness. I suppose it's a bit like if someone goes to Buckingham Palace and they say, we're off to see the Queen today. And what they mean by that is that they're going to go to the palace, take some photos outside the palace, and perhaps maybe see the royal entourage passing by, where they might see a glimpse of the Queen. They might see the Queen, but they would only really have a glimpse of her. And so in the same way it is here, that they really had only a glimpse of God and didn't see him in his fullness. They only saw his feet. And the amazing thing in all this is that they're able not only to be in the presence of God, but they're able to have a meal with him. As it mentions there in verse 11, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate 
and drank. As the Israelites had been sprinkled with blood, they were now considered to be holy and set apart. They had been cleansed so that they could enter God's presence. And yet, they knew that they would continue to sin. They knew that they would need sacrifices to be made to appease the holy wrath of God, because otherwise they would be consumed in his presence. But now for us in Christ, we can enter God's holy presence, not by the blood of animal sacrifices, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, who was sacrificed on our behalf. The sacrifices that Moses gave on behalf of the Israelites were a picture, a picture of the new and better covenant in Christ who gave himself for us. As it says in Hebrews 10, verse 10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Because Christ makes us holy to enjoy a meal in his presence. Christ makes us holy to enjoy a meal in his presence. Now we rest in the final and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. And not only so, but we enjoy a meal with the Lord himself. The meal which remembers the establishment of the new covenant. We can eat the Lord's Supper as we remember Jesus' sufficient sacrifice for our sins. I was speaking to a friend recently and saying to him, asking him, what is it that you miss most about not being able to meet as a church physically? And he said, well, you would expect him to say that he would say singing or maybe uh, meeting with friends and others in the church or maybe even being able to meet physically to sit under the word being preached. But actually his response was actually not being able to eat the Lord's Supper together. And that is surely something that we must feel too. To not be able to share in the Lord's Supper, in the Lord's table is surely, in a sense, detrimental to our walk with the Lord. Yes, we can do lots of things online, we can still communicate with one another, but we can't eat the Lord's Supper together. We can't enjoy a meal that reminds us of who we are as his people. And so, in a sense, we should feel the weight of that, the loss of that. We should yearn to do it again as having the Lord's Supper is a a reminder of everything that we enjoy as the Lord's people. That we might also, in a sense, have a taste of his glory. And that really points us to the fact that he allows us to see the glory of our relationship with him. Towards the end of the chapter, he sees... We see that Moses went up to the mountain again and the cloud covered it. In fact, the glory of the Lord settled on it and the Lord spoke to Moses. The Israelites looked on in amazement as the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. And you can imagine that the Israelites would be hesitant to approach the Lord. And they would be right. As even though they were cleansed of their sins, they knew it wouldn't be terribly long until they would sin again and new sacrifices would be needed to appease God's wrath. The very promises that they had wholeheartedly made to God, well, they knew, well, maybe they didn't, but they would break 
them, break, break their covenantal promise to God. And so they looked on from a distance in awe and wonder at the Lord in his glory on the mountain. And how does Moses respond? Well, as we look to verse 18 there, we see how Moses responded. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Only Moses can enter the presence of the Lord. He draws close to God, draws close to him, and has an intimate relationship in his holy presence. And Moses is a picture of the one who would gain full access to the Holy of Holies forever. Now through faith in Christ, we can enter the holy presence of God and enjoy the intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father as we come to him through his Son, our Lord Jesus. As it mentions in Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 23, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that brings, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. Because now in Christ we can boldly draw near to the Lord. We need not climb a mountain or scale the heavens to see the glory of God, but we see it as we ponder and dwell on Christ and what he has done for us. As we behold him in all his splendor and glory, we see the majesty of God. And as the second person of the Trinity, Christ experiences an eternal relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Because God the Father loves us so much, he sent his one and only Son into this corrupt and fallen world. A world corrupted by our sinful rebellion against the one who made us. That he would show his love to redeem us to himself. And so that now by God's spirit we might be part of that. We might sense a a communion, a relationship with the Lord. So when we trust in the Lord Jesus we can have that. We can experience that and see to some level a degree of his glory. When we trust in Jesus, we can, we can enjoy that relationship with him. And who am I to deserve that? Who are we to deserve that? Well, we, we are no one. We are no one but, but rebels. We are, we have rebelled against them. We've sinned against them. We're only worthy of his wrath, but, but God in his amazing grace has shown us mercy. He has shown us mercy in Christ, bringing us back to a glorious relationship with himself through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now we dwell on him. We delight in Christ. We meditate on Christ and what he has done for us in the gospel. And all this is a free gift of grace. We have done nothing to deserve it, but it is a free gift of God.
And so now today we can shift our, our anxieties, our fears, our worries, our heartbreaks, our pains. We can shift them to Christ as we delight in all that he has done for us. Let us dwell on him. Let us dwell on Christ that he might be the one who encapsulates all our affections, all of our hearts, that they may be filled with the wonder of what he has done for us. That we might be able to, in some sense, see the glory of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. John Owen, in his book, the book, the book called The Glory of Christ, has a beautiful reflection in this. And he says this, he says, By beholding the glory of Christ by faith, we shall find rest for our souls. Our minds are apt to be filled with troubles, fears, cares, dangers, distresses, ungoverned passions and lusts. By these, our thoughts are filled with chaos, darkness and confusion. But where the soul is fixed on the glory of Christ, then the mind finds rest and peace. For to be spiritually minded is peace let let us for a moment for a moment cease to think about all the troubles that we face in our life and in our world that we might be able to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ that we might be able to have our hearts full filled with his love as we invite him into our hearts into our lives that we might meditate on him and dwell on the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Really, I have only one reflection as we think about that to close. It is this, let us dwell on the wonder of having a relationship with Almighty God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to leave a moment of silence before I close in prayer that we might be able to meditate, dwell, ponder, think about the glory of God and who he has revealed himself to be in our Lord Jesus, how much we have in him. Let's just take a moment to think about these things. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the way in which you've displayed it in sending your Son into this world that you might redeem us to yourself and that by your spirit we would testify that we are your children, that we have intimate relationship with you through Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that we can look to him, dwell on him, meditate on him, who has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms that we might be able to delight in what he has done for us and bringing us back to you that we might draw close to you, Lord, as you draw near to us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to fill our minds, fill our hearts with your love and what you've done for us in Christ. Help us, Lord, to, to do that, to fill our minds and hearts with your love and your goodness to us, displayed in Jesus. In his name. Amen. Well, we've heard this morning of the wonder of having a relationship with our almighty God through Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. Um, but of course, relationships um, we need to, to work on, we need to develop and grow. 
Um, although God's faithfulness towards us never changes, it's very easy for us to uh, um, be distracted and uh, stray away from him. So let's pray as we finish that we would grow in that relationship with him and by his spirit have work in our lives. I'm going to read a prayer from Paul to Ephesians, which is a prayer which is relevant for us today. Let me pray. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen.